Well, good morning. Again, baptisms are exciting, aren't they? It's always fabulous to see people following Christ and the work that God does in hearts. So, we are in our Roman study, of course, and uh, excited to be going through this book. Last week, if you were here, you will remember that we talked about the Apostle Paul and how he is not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. In fact, he's very bold for the gospel. And why was he bold? He says, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul is so bold because he realizes what he has. He has this incredibly powerful gospel, and he's called to share that with others. Now, how is the gospel powerful? We're going to get into that this morning. You can take your Bibles. Romans 1, of course, is where we are. Romans chapter 1 in uh, the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Find the book of Romans, find chapter 1, and what we want to do is we want to talk about this powerful gospel. How is it powerful? What does it do? How does it work? And we're going to spend the entire book of Romans exploring this great salvation. Pastor Steve compared it to taking apart a Ferrari, Right? He, he said it's like you know, seeing the incredible engineering in a car like that. We're just going to kind of take it apart as we go throughout the book of Romans. Now, I don't have a Ferrari, all right? But I was tinkering with my car this past week, okay? And I pulled all the spark plugs out. I replaced them. Here's one of them right here, all right, in my hand. I really enjoy taking apart the car and figuring out how it works. My goal is always to... Uh, to do more good than damage. This time it worked, okay? This time it actually worked. But I kind of like figuring out, okay, how does this stuff even work? And we, we know that an engine is powerful, right? I mean, some engines are more powerful than others, but we know that an engine is powerful. But how does that power work? Well, there are one of many things. There are spark plugs in there, and there's sparking, and then there's compression, and there's fuel coming into a chamber, and then there's these, these tiny explosions that are actually creating this force. It's kind of wild when you think about it, all that's happening in an engine. And in verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, which is where we will be, we're asking a similar question. How does the power work? Okay, the gospel is powerful. It's so powerful that Paul is bold, but how does that power work? Work And there's this progression through these verses, and you keep seeing this word for, you know, and Paul is continuing the thought. So I want to read verse 17 together. We're going to try something we usually don't do, but it's one verse, so we're going to say it together. Some of you love this. Some of you hate it. We're going to try it, okay? Romans 1.17, try to follow along with me. We're going to say it out loud. Here we go. Ready? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now here in verse 17, really 16 and 17, we have a summary, a thesis of the whole book. So important verses. Notice the first three words here, for in it. Paul's saying in this way, here's how it works. Here is what we see when we look at the power of the gospel. And he says the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? The righteousness of God is revealed. If you want to know what it means, pick up a commentary and you'll read for about five hours. I dare you. Go look at commentaries on this. There's so many things that have been written about what this means of the righteousness 
of God is revealed. But I want to try to put it as simply as possible for us this morning, and that is this. The gospel reveals, because that's what it says, for in it, the gospel, for in the gospel, the gospel reveals that God is making things right. God is making things right. Now, there's a depth of meaning in this phrase, and I'm, I'm even nervous to try to reduce it too much or try to simplify it too much. I don't want to shortchange its meaning. But when Paul uses this word righteousness, you can study it throughout the book of Romans, throughout the New Testament. Fundamental to its meaning, at the core of the meaning of the word righteousness, is the idea that God is making things right. It could read like this, for in the gospel, the way God makes things right is revealed. Isn't this what God does through the gospel? I mean, isn't this what happens when the gospel takes hold of a heart? God makes the wrong right. He makes the unjust just. He takes the deviant and he makes them obedient. He takes the broken and makes them whole. He has done this since mankind's relationship was first fractured in the garden many, many years ago. It's a tale as old as time. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the engine of the Ferrari. It's the, it's the powerful pistons that are driving the engine. The might of the gospel makes us right. So this powerful gospel is making us right. How does that work? Well, let's continue to find out. When you first read it, you say, okay, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. God's character, his righteousness is seen in the gospel. That's very true. In fact, all that God does through the gospel, all that he does all throughout history and through our hearts when the gospel takes, uh, starts to, to, to work in our hearts is because his character is righteousness. It all stems from who he is. He is a righteous God. And everything that he's done in Christ, everything that he does, does in us, further proves that righteousness. It further proves his character. It's like a cycle of righteousness. Because God is righteous, he works through the gospel. And when we see him work through the gospel, we see further confirmation that he's righteous. And so it just continues to go. You can read through the scriptures and you see that God is a righteous God. What does that mean? Well, one aspect of God's righteousness is his holiness. He's flawless. He's always right in whatever he does. Never a misstep, never a detour. He's always right on time. He's always right in his motives. He's always right in his actions. He's always right. God's righteousness also includes his justice. This word has an idea of just, justice. God is a God who must punish injustice. And here's where the revelation of righteousness starts to get kind of compelling and convicting all at one time. See, it's not hard for us to believe that things are not right in this world. Is that so hard for you to believe that things are not right in this world? I mean, we have kids shooting kids. We have Nigerian soldiers kidnapping girls. If you have lived in this world for any amount of time, you know that things are not right. Something is fundamentally wrong. Even the trees and the animal kingdom know that something is not right. The book of Romans, we're in, chapter 8, says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Even, even the, 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 the creation around us is waiting for something else because not everything is right. And the question is that, the, the question that we all struggle with is, well, how is this made right? How can this broken world be made right? How can we see the curse reversed? How can all sad things become untrue? 
Somebody has to pay for all the injustice. I mean, if God lets school shooters go off scot-free, if he lets kidnappers go scot-free, he's not a very righteous God. But let's hit a little closer to home. If God lets you and I off scot-free, he's not a very righteous God. Because we are not as righteous as we think we are. We're not as righteous as we think we are. And this is a vital facet of the gospel to understand this, that when we truly grasp the brilliance of God's righteousness, he's, he's revealing his righteousness throughout the word, throughout the gospel, we realize his brilliant righteousness makes our righteousness look pretty dark. And notice that God reveals his righteousness. God must reveal his true nature to us. We'll never figure it out on our own. We just won't. The rest of, the, of Romans 1 is going to make that abundantly clear, that we are deceived, that we don't understand the righteousness of God. And in the same way, I think God must reveal our true nature to us. He has to help us understand that, that we're not really as righteous as we think we are. When we see his righteousness, we realize, okay, compared to that, I'm not very righteous. And we like to think of ourselves as more righteous than we are because we play the comparison game. We can always find somebody that we'd say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, you know, compared to those individuals. An example from the New Testament in Luke chapter 8, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Here we have it. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. This is what the Pharisee says, religious leader, everyone thinks he's, you know, very spiritual. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That word justified is the same word righteousness, same root word that we're looking at in our text today rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And the truth is, we have no righteousness at all. The Pharisee and the tax collector teach us that self-righteousness is actually unrighteousness. When we are self-righteous, we are actually operating in an unrighteous way. And if we ever start to play the comparison game where we look around and we say, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay, we run the risk of warping the gospel and misunderstanding what we learn about the righteousness of God and the righteousness of man, which is no righteousness at all. We are not saved because we're righteous. We are righteous because we're saved. Here's a fact for you. God has the monopoly on righteousness. God has... Don't you hate when you're playing monopoly and somebody buys up all those, you know, there's uh, power companies and all this stuff, you know. And When it comes to righteousness, some of us don't like the fact that God has the monopoly on righteousness, but he does. All righteousness is God's. Look at the text that says, the righteousness of God. It's God's righteousness. It's possessive. Only God is righteous. That's shown throughout the whole scriptures. It's especially vividly shown in the gospel. It's revealed, the righteousness of God. So what are we going to do? If we know that the world is not right, if we know that we're not okay, what are we to do? How can the wrong in us be made right? We better make sure we get this because if you go one verse 
forward, verse 18, something else is revealed. And that's the wrath of God against all unrighteousness. So we want to make sure we get this right. We want to know how can all of these things be made right. Here's an incredible plot twist. And it's, it's a plot twist, a, a twist in the story that most people don't see. And if they would only get it, it would change everything. Here it is. Here's the twist. To everyone who believes, that's what Romans says, to everyone who believes, Jew and Greek, rich and poor, business tycoon, murderous inmate, God makes them right by pouring out his justice, his righteousness, his justice upon his son, Jesus Christ. He takes all of that wrath for the sin of mankind, and for those that believe, he pours that out on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. In a few chapters, Paul is going to write this about the cross in 326. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, God might be just, and the justifier, the one who makes righteous, makes things right, of the one who has faith in Jesus. And this verse is chocked full of truths, and we're not going to spoil the surprise when we get to chapter 3. All right, But I just want to recognize the fact that on the cross, God shows his justice he shows that he's a righteous God. He pours out his wrath on his son. But he also shows that he's the justifier. He shows mercy to sinners. He shows justice to sin. He shows mercy to sinners. In chapter 3, verse 26 that you just saw, it echoes this ver- a verse for this morning. The one who has faith in Jesus. Which brings us to a second reveal this morning. The gospel reveals that God is making things right using faith. God is making things right using faith. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And here's another part of the story, another another plot twist that people sometimes miss. Something that God must reveal to a person. It doesn't come naturally, but God has to reveal it. The righteousness of God revealed in Christ is applied to you and it's applied to me through faith, by faith. And this is precisely the revelation that Martin Luther had around the year 1519, a long time ago. All right? But Martin Luther was lecturing through the book of, the Rome, a book of Romans. So he's, he's teaching this book, okay, Book Romans, in a seminary. And as he lectures through it, he comes to chapter 1, verse 17. And it had been haunting him. It had literally been, if you read his writings, verse 17 had been haunting him. Luther was an obsessively devout monk. He tried everything he could to be righteous, to do the right stuff. When he would get up to do, to do mass, to do the Eucharist, he would be petrified like he was going to do one thing wrong. He shudders, shuddered at the thought of, of not being righteous. And yet he describes himself during this time as a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. Luther actually said that the phrase, the righteousness of God, was something he hated. He hated it because the righteousness of God made him feel very unrighteous. He couldn't shake it, and so he lived in terror year after year. And then one day, Luther had this breakthrough. He had this breakthrough, and God used this phrase in verse 17. He kept coming back to it. He kept studying it. And he read this phrase, the righteous will live by faith. And it opened his eyes. It completely changed his perspective. It finally made sense. He he dug into the the word righteousness and he studied it in the original language. And he he became 
uh, he, he actually understood that what this word meant is that our righteousness comes from God's righteousness, that God declares us righteous. He actually says that we are righteous as if the judge says, not guilty. It's not our religious efforts. He realized, oh, wow, it's faith alone. It's not my righteousness. Now, once Luther got this, he never looked back because that's what he needed. It, it freed him. And we know the rest of the story from our Reformation series that we went through not too long ago. But I want you to think for a moment of the alternative to faith. What is the alternative to faith? The only alternative to faith in God's righteousness is faith in our righteousness. So if it's not faith in this God, faith in God's righteousness, verse 17, what is it? There's only one other way. It's faith in my righteousness. It's hoping that perhaps throughout my life I've done enough good things to tip the balance. You know, yeah, I've made some mistakes, but, you know, God is understanding, and compared to a lot of other people, I, I think I'm okay. And that's, that's the alternative to this faith in the righteousness of God. Sadly, this is the default for every human being, and it's the default for every religion made by mankind. I ask you this morning, is it possible that you're relying on your own unrighteousness? Could you be playing the comparison game that I talked about? The thought of relying on our works is downright terrifying. Isn't it terrifying? I mean, think about all that we know about ourselves, what we know about our heart, what we know about our thoughts. Even on our best day, we fall so short of the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel. Remember, God has a monopoly on righteousness. But here's the real good news. The good news is that God has a monopoly on righteousness, but he gives it as a free gift to all who believe. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, keeping the law, being a religious person, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, Martin Luther called this alien righteousness. You know, not alien like green Martian aliens. I don't even know if they believed in that back then. I don't know. <laughs> but alien in the sense that it's outside of us. It is a foreign righteousness to us. It's not intrinsic. The source of the righteousness is, is, is outside of me. It's given to me. And he talked about this legal declaration of righteousness. It's the doctrine of of justification, if you've ever heard justified or justification. In other words, God is saying, based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I declare you not guilty. And this is a verse that teaches that. Think back to the Pharisee and the tax collector. A tax collector, he's not saying, God, I hope you see the things I do and I hope I'm okay. He just beats his chest and he just says, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. But the guy who says, yeah, I'm not as bad as him, thankfully, he goes home not justified, not declared righteousness. It's clear from Romans 1.17 that justification is by faith. But it's talking about more than just justification. If we look at this, if we look at this, this scripture here, there's, there's an idea of any righteousness that we have whatsoever, whether it be declared righteousness, forensic righteousness as it's called sometimes, or personal holiness, personal righteousness that as we grow as a Christian— all of it comes from God's righteousness. All of it finds its source in the righteousness of God. Again, God is revealing his righteousness through the gospel. There is this phrase in the text here, from faith, 
for faith. And some of your versions translate that a little differently. From faith, for faith. It could mean different things, but one thing it certainly means is that righteousness is linked to faith from start to finish. Righteousness is always linked to our faith. Living by faith is this constant process of trying to trust in the righteousness of God, not my own righteousness. From faith, for faith. From faith, for faith. Consider this uh, spark plug again to to jump back to this uh, little prop that I hold in my hand. It's probably too small for most of you to see it, okay? But if you think about this, this spark plug, the first spark uh, you know, contributes to a combustion that allows the engine to, to move. Okay? And you don't need to understand a lot about that. I only know very, very little. But that happens, and so the, the, the power starts going. But this spark plug doesn't just fire when the car initially starts. It actually, it fires like many, many times, you know, hundreds of times a minute, actually. And so it's firing, and it's firing. And if, if faith is that spark that, that starts this whole process, it keeps going. The faith must continue. We don't just have faith in the beginning. I trust in you, God, as a seven-year-old or whatever age we were. And then we don't need faith anymore. It's from faith for faith. Faith again and again throughout our entire life. Remember, this is a relationship with God. The righteous live by faith. So as we constantly trust in the Lord, that faith is firing. And it's going. This is a relationship. It's not just an intellectual exercise. You know, faith is not simply, I understand this truth about God in our minds. It's a relationship with God. Through the years, our our relationship matures. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that throughout your life, you'll come upon a a season or a trial, and you'll look at this, and you'll say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But God, I'm trusting you trusting that you're good, I'm trusting that you're in control, and you rely on the Lord through that. And then you look back and you say, yeah, that built my faith. I saw God never left me. It might not have ended like I wanted it to, but God never left me. He was faithful. And so that, that from faith, for faith. We experience joys in life, right? And we realize that this is a good Father who gives us not just what we need, but gives us many times extra and an abundance because He loves us so dearly, just because of His loving kindness. And so our faith is built from faith for faith. We live by faith. Uh, today is exactly 17 years to the day from when I asked Jennifer Tanner to become Jennifer Colton. All right? And it was a Sunday too. So that's kind of neat. But on that day, it was one of the best days ever. It's not a specifically or especially glorious proposal that I would share with you, but On that day, uh, there was a marker. Something happened. There was a deep commitment that we began that for the last 17 years has been growing and through mountains, through valleys, you know. And I think about my love for her back then, my faith in her, and I, I trusted her. I believed in the love that she had for me. I had that faith. But over the years, through having children, through going through different life seasons, my faith is stronger. My trust in her is stronger. My love is deeper. And I don't take that for granted because I know that's not always the case in a relationship, okay? But there is something that happens through a relationship where you, you see the person's character, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then your faith is built more and more from faith to faith. I think about being a four, almost five-year-old and trusting in Jesus Christ and understanding the ba- very basics about salvation by faith. And through the years, I've taken step after step in this journey of walking with the Lord. You know, and there's been times where 
I consider them mountaintops, and there's been valleys in my relationship with God. I'd like to say that every step that I took was forward, but there have been some back, steps back. Right? There's been some times where I've, I've, I've had areas in my heart that I didn't want to give to the Lord. But it's been this journey. And as I journey through this, it's from faith for faith. From faith for faith. One thing I know, I love Jesus more today than I did as a five-year-old. I trust in the sovereignty of God, my Father, more today than I did when I was five years old because it's growing. It's this faith that I need today just as much as I needed the first day that I believed. Are you living by faith? Is your faith something that is growing? Are you relying on the Lord currently, walking with Him? Yeah, sometimes there's some steps back, right? But this, I'm walking by faith. I'm concerned that there could be some who look back to some nostalgic faith, you know, long ago, and they say, yeah, I believed, but there's never been any progress in the relationship. There's never been any, any faith after that point. Perhaps it was just a mental assent of, like, I believe this to be true, but never an ongoing faith relationship. I, I challenge you to read Hebrews 11 later today. It's called the Hall of Faith, and, and faith is connected to our life, what we do. You, you read about how Abraham, by faith, offered his son Isaac. You read about how Moses, by faith, chose not to be counted with the children of Pharaoh, but to be counted with the children of God, not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It, faith is connected to what we do and how we live. Just to make it clear, our salvation does not depend on how strong our faith feels at any given time. Whether we feel like we've grown in faith as much as we want to, by grace we are saved through faith, Ephesians 2. By grace we are saved through faith. And that grace continues to keep our faith today. Kevin DeYoung said, the grace that saves us is the grace that leads us home. So I don't want you to get this idea today that like, oh, I just got to keep my faith going. I got to keep firing that spark plug. No, God is by his grace is doing that in us. But if you have this faith from long ago, once upon a time, you remember nostalgically a decision to trust in Christ, but there's never been any connection to life. There's never been a faith that is really growing or vib no vibrancy. I want to encourage you today to come talk to one of us. Let's talk about that because faith is needed your entire life. It all comes from God, but we start with faith, we finish with faith. Three final applications for you this morning, all right? Three uh, final applications. Number one, because God alone is righteousness, because God alone is righteous, we stand in all of his glory. Only God could orchestrate this beautiful salvation. Now, only, only God can make things right. And politicians aren't going to make things right. Leaders aren't going to make things right. You and I can't make things right. Only God can do this. He alone deserves all our worship and our trust. When we're in here and we're singing these songs of worship, I hope that that engages your heart. How can we not worship this God who has made things right in our hearts? How can we not worship God who's going to make all things right in our world? Think about God's plan of salvation, masterfully engineered and executed. His ability to make things right makes a Ferrari look like a matchbox. He is much better of an engineer more impressive than it would, the engineer it would require to build a space shuttle. This is a, I mean, think about this because we're talking about human beings who have a sin problem. <clears throat> a car is a mechanical thing. You know, I had this problem with my car this last week. It's a mechanical problem. If you can figure out what the mechanical problem is, 
via YouTube and people who actually know what they're talking about. Not me. You can fix it. It's mechanical. It's something that is, it's, it's stuff that works together. We're talking about a spiritual problem here. We're talking about something that, that, that is the souls of man, the, the, the spiritual part of who we are. That can't be fixed mechanically. This requires a God who gives a spiritual solution. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read what the solution was from God. He says this, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the solution. And no engineering, no mechanical engineering can fix that. It's a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. Jesus Christ and his righteousness put in my account. My sin placed on Jesus on the cross. We are given righteousness, but justice is still served. That's the amazing thing about the plan of salvation. We're given the righteousness of God, but justice is still served. Jesus Christ paid the penalty. And for this, God deserves much praise. You and I should be praising him all throughout the week, not just here on Sunday mornings. Another application, because God is making things right, we have tremendous hope as Christians. Tremendous hope. We have hope that no matter how broken the world seems, though the oft seem, though the wrong, I gotta get this right, this is the hymn, right? Though the wrong seems oft so strong, that's the hymn, okay? Though the wrong seems often so strong, we know that God is the ruler. We know that he's making things right. There's a righteous God on the throne. He hasn't left the building. He's in control. And so our response should be one of faith. We should have faith. We should have hope. At the moment of salvation, we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happened. But today, we can continue to have faith each step of the journey, even when life is difficult, even when we look around and go, God, I don't know why you're letting this happen. I do not know why you're letting things fall apart right now. My family is falling apart, or my job is falling apart, or just the world is falling apart. God, why are you letting this happen? But we know and we believe that God's in control. We believe he's making things right. When Paul uses this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, in verse 17, he's actually quoting Habakkuk chapter 2 in the Old Testament. He's going all the way back to Habakkuk. Not often is Habakkuk quoted, okay? And here it is, chapter 2, Habakkuk 2. I'm not going to read it for you, but what's happening is the prophet Habakkuk has the exact same problem I just talked about. He's looking around at what's going on, and he's saying, God, what's going on? Where's the justice? You're going to let these wicked Babylonians come in and destroy the people of God, those of us who are more righteous, he actually says. And God answers, and God says, just wait. I will take care of it. Justice will be served, but just wait. He says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So he tells Habakkuk, I know you can't see it right now. I know it seems very, very wrong. It seems very, very unjust. I promise you, the righteousness of God will be revealed. Faith is unseen, but it's not blind. We can't see our faith, but it's not blind faith because God has revealed himself, Romans 1.17. God's righteousness has been revealed. And he's revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. God, become flesh, become man. And here's the heart of the gospel, right? God revealing himself to us. Yes, God revealed his righteousness all throughout the Old Testament. You can read about the perfection of God all throughout the Old Testament. 
the righteousness of God and his plan of salvation and how he's working in his people. When we get to Christ, and this is what Paul is saying, when Paul says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, in Christ, there's something more that's revealed. There's something special that's revealed. There's something really dramatic that's revealed. Think about Jesus Christ. We see indisputable proof that God is working for his people because here we have God come to earth, taking on our flesh, entering our world, living among us. That is indisputable proof that God is making things right, that God is working things together for good, that when Jesus hangs on that cross and mankind seems to have defeated him, evil mankind has seemed to defeat him, or even Satan has seemed to defeat him, actually, there's something happening. There's a reversal that's happening. God is going to Raise Jesus from the dead. So this is indisputable proof, irrefutable evidence that we can trust this God. He who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also give us all good things? This is the revelation we need to trust God the rest of our days. So whatever you're going through right now, you look to Christ. You say, okay, God, you revealed your righteousness through Jesus Christ. I trust you. God is still making things right in the lives of his children. Lastly, because God is the one who reveals his righteousness, we must pray for God to open eyes and awaken hearts. It says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Remember verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's that's what's required to open eyes, to awaken hearts. It's powerful, but... We have to remember the rest of this verse. To everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. And when we understand verse 17 that we looked at this morning, we get it. The the righteousness of God is being revealed to those who have faith, who God grants faith. When faith sprouts in a heart, when God takes faith and he plants it there and then cultivates it, and then he It grows. This is when somebody actually has the power of God change them. Because the gospel doesn't seem powerful for a lot of people. They could care less about it. But when faith moves and when faith is planted, things happen. Or we could use this spark plug illustration again. It only sparks when there's spiritual life running to it, when there's power going to it. God has to move and give faith. Without God-initiated faith, there's no powerful salvation happening in a heart. So maybe this morning God is revealing his righteousness righteousness to you in a brand new way. He's opening your eyes. He's awakening your heart. He's causing you to see this is not just an intellectual thing. This is not just a nostalgic decision that I made one day. This is connected to my life. I want to follow Christ with my life. I want to walk by faith, from faith, for faith. And I would encourage you, if that be the case, come talk to one of us. Man, what a conversation I would love to have with you. And I've talked to a few people recently that this has happened. That they have realized, I, I don't think I ever really trusted in Christ with my heart. I think I, was, I think I was relying on my own righteousness, actually. So we share this gospel boldly. But we pray fervently that God would awaken, that God would reveal. God has to reveal. And that is what we celebrated this morning with the baptisms wasn't it? We celebrated the fact that God opened eyes, that he brought life to hearts. Whatever age 
we're at. We'll have four more coming for baptism second service. The fact that these individuals are saying, I trust in Jesus Christ with my whole life, that didn't happen by accident, and it didn't happen by their own strength. It happened because God moved, and God planted faith, and God sparked, and now all of a sudden there is a real faith, and we celebrate it. Verse 17 could have been worded in our English Bibles as this, those who are righteous by faith shall live. And you might even have a footnote in your Bible probably that tells you that. Those who are righteous by faith shall live, with the emphasis on live. That if you are righteous because of your faith, not because of your own works, you will live. The only way to experience this vibrant life that we celebrated with baptism is to be on that path of faith. And when you're on that path of faith, that's when God is revealing his, righteous, his righteousness to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, so much depth in this verse. But God, I pray that it's been clear for us today. I pray that we understand how your righteousness is revealed in the gospel. Lord, when we get a glimpse of your bright, brilliant righteousness, it starts to make our righteousness look pretty bleak pretty dark. And as scripture says, even our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to you. I want to pray, Lord, for this morning. Maybe there's somebody who, as I've shared the scriptures here, Lord, they've wondered, perhaps my faith was or is a nostalgic faith. Maybe I've never had life spark in my heart. Maybe I've been trusting in my own righteousness, playing the comparison game. God, I pray for anyone in here who's been doing that. Lord, we need your righteousness. We need you to make things right because we can't do it on our own. And Lord, maybe somebody in here is in that place. They know. They've tried to, to make it right. They've tried to get through this life and do it on their own, but they've realized it's not working so well. And even if it is working okay, they wonder in their quieter moments, what about the day that I stand before you? Will it be enough? So God, I pray for that person today that you would spark life in their heart and that that faith would would uh, begin and it would continue throughout their whole life. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, may we worship you and celebrate you today because of all that you've done in us, that we bring nothing to the table when it comes to righteousness, that you have a monopoly on it, but you give us the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we go out here with smiles in our face, with a spring in our step, because we know that we are right before you, thanks to Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd share this good news with others, that we would pray fervently you'd open eyes. We need you, God. Thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.